Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Can I make my side softer? Can I make my side firmer? Whenever I want? Can, Can we, we sleep, sleep cooler? Sleep Number does that. Cools up to eight times faster and lets you choose your ideal comfort on either side. 94% of Sleep Number smart sleepers report better sleep. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. I have had many meteorologists come on the show, and when I ask them how they got passionate about weather, a good number of them say Mother Nature's wrath at a young age. But the fear capitulated them into a passion for learning more about the science behind what is happening in the sky. However, for some people, that fear doesn't turn into a passion and could even develop into a phobia. My guest today is Margaret Crane, who is a psychology PhD student specializing in anxiety disorders like storm phobia. Margaret, Margaret, I'm sorry. Thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I see that you are a, a doctoral student at, at Temple University specializing in training and treating child anxiety disorders. Uh, you've been a visiting scholar at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. And you also received a bachelor's degree from Harvard University in 2014. So I want to get, this is really fascinating because if, if you've read some of the things that I've even written over the years in Forbes, I'm also fascinated by the psychology aspects of weather and dabble in it from time to time, mainly as a non-expert, my expertise is in weather. But phobias is a real issue, and particularly as it relates to weather. But before I get into that, are you a weather geek or are you, do you love the weather? And if so, how, how'd you get into it? I absolutely am a weather geek. It's kind of just something I'm interested in on the side. I was that kid that just always really loved weather and got excited by storms. I remember when I was younger, even watching the storms go over the water, for example. So I'm definitely not the kiddo that has a storm phobia, but I just really enjoy storms. Yeah. Um, that said, you know, my career path is not necessarily related to storms, but because I really love weather, I have a lot of fun when I get to treat someone with a storm phobia. Now, I have been challenged, as have you, by our producers. They said, how many phobias can you actually name? Uh, and they said, you too, Marshall. Uh, I know there's, uh, you know, one phobia is uh, anacrophobia or encrophobia. Is that a fear of the wind? Uh, what are some of the other weather-related phobias, and do they have names? I didn't realize some of them had names. Goodness, I don't know their technical names, Um in general, when we think about phobias, we think about different kind of categories. And so if we were to think about a fear of storms, we just kind of name it like that. And then yeah. for the specific client, we can discuss their specific fears. I'm sure there's a lot of different technical ones. I just don't well, know. I, well, I, my, we have such an excellent production staff here. They actually have come up with some of these. And I have to admit, I didn't They're realize awesome. they existed as well. So uh, encrophobia, and I may be pronouncing it, mispronouncing it. So those listeners out there, uh, definitely shoot me an email if I did. It's A-N-C-R-A-O-phobia, a fear of wind. Astrophobia, fear of thunderstorms, chianophobia, 
Pianophobia, fear of snow, C-H-I-O-N-O phobia, and ombrophobia, which is a fear of rain. Uh, Very cool. According to our excellent research, the Weather Channel and the Weather Geeks podcast. A shout out to uh, Sarah Dillingham and um, perhaps Heather Zons and others for that information. But let's dig in a little bit. Uh, Is storm phobia something that you have commonly seen in children that you've worked with? I wouldn't say phobias themselves are as common as just general concerns about weather. And so weather worries can be common in many different disorders. So for many kiddos or adults too, it's just general worry about what might happen with the weather. Um, You know, there's a lot of uncertainty that comes with the weather in itself. And so is this going to be a safe storm? Is it going to cause disruption to my schedule can be common worries. So phobias themselves perhaps are a little less common than those general worries, but they also are pretty prevalent. Yeah. What about, I mean, I, I mean, again, I, with weather, you have tornadoes, obviously, and thunder. I mean, it's, a, it's interesting because I think adults and kids alike are often fearful of thunder when, interestingly, it's actually the lightning, which is the more dangerous aspect of those couplet of uh, phenomena, because the lightning actually can, can have an impact on us physically, whereas the thunder, I guess, is just the manifestation of the lightning, the, the sound wave, a shock wave associated with the lightning. Is there any sort of psychological underpinning or rationality for why people would fear the thunder more than the lightning? Or is it just sort of a natural human tendency because we hear it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we hear it and it's really loud. And so the loud noise is really scary. And, you know, I think that also speaks a little bit to anxiety isn't always quite rational. And sometimes we don't actually feel a lot of fear to the thing that is really dangerous, but we might be more afraid of the thing that perhaps isn't as dangerous as other things. Yeah. And I want to kind of stay there for a second, because this is something that I rail about on Twitter often uh, for those that follow me on Twitter. Uh, You'll see a situation where you're at a college football game or baseball game and there's a lightning delay. I mean, there are these sort of rules that suggest that if lightning is within eight miles, they have to sort of stop the game. And one of the things that I notice, and it drives me crazy, is that during the lightning delay, people just will still sit there in the stadium and not move or evacuate. But if it starts raining, they get out of there quickly. So it's really odd that they've perceived the threat of getting wet, I guess, at a higher level than the threat of getting struck by lightning. Talk, talk to us about what, what that's about, or is it just more that irrationality? Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. I think also it's just unpleasant to get wet whereas the risk of getting struck by lightning is low. And so some, to some degree, maybe they think, well, if I can be in this area and it's safe, or maybe there's actually lightning rods on the top. So perhaps the threat of lightning just isn't quite as present for them as just getting wet, which they don't yeah. want to do. Yeah, I think that the sort of the immediacy of the threat, or, you know, perceived threat and sort of optimism biases and some of those types of things. Uh, in terms of weather disasters versus other kinds of disasters with, with children that you've worked with, perhaps in your studies or in reading the literature within your field. Uh, are there sort of this category of natural disasters or threats that uh, rank higher than, per se, uh, weather threats to kids, or are they all in one basket? So I, I guess what I'm thinking are, uh, is there research that suggests that kids have more anxiety about maybe a earthquake than a tornado or a hurricane, or is it, is it all just sort of uh, captured in one general risk category? That's a great question. I think it also probably depends on where a kid lives. So I live in Philadelphia, and so in general, hurricanes are probably something kids are thinking a little bit more about, whereas perhaps a child in California might be worried a little bit more about earthquakes. Right, right. And so, yeah, so there is a real geographical anchoring to to that 
fear. Um, I'm just curious. I want to circle back to this. How did you actually get into your research? How did how did you, I mean, you, you mentioned that you sort of had this passion or interest in weather, but it's not kind of an area you went into as your primary course of study. But how did you sort of end up down this path of, sort of studying children, adolescents, and, and phobias? That's a great question. So my research interest is actually a little bit more about of a field called implementation and dissemination science, which is thinking about how do we get treatments we know work out to people. And, you know, weather and treating anxiety in general is a little bit more of a clinical interest of mine. And so I can speak to kind of either of those if you'd like. Yeah, oh, absolutely, please. So for my research interest, I became interested in that because in college, I learned a lot about, we know a lot of different treatments work for treating mental illness, but they're not commonly used in the community. So I just became really interested in what's that gap between research and practice. Whereas treating fears and anxiety in general, it's just kind of something in some ways I fell into. My graduate advisor, that's his specialty, um, which is really treating anxiety as a whole. And treating phobias are just a lot of fun, really, um, because they're really targeted in how you treat it. And it's interesting how different things present in different kids. Now, I want, you know, this is Weather Geeks, and we like to kind of get down to the sort of core of, of these topics. That we, talk, we deal with a lot of high-level topics, whether it's weather, climate, or in this case, psychology. But at the root are some very fundamental things that I like to draw out of my guests. So a question here is, what is the difference between phobias, anxiety, and just general jitters that we may have? That's a really great question. So to first differentiate between general jitters and an anxiety disorder that might be diagnosed, we look at both, is it interfering? So is it causing problems in people's lives? Is it stopping them from doing the things they'd normally like to do? So with weather, for example, are they not going places they'd normally like to go? Um, it also could be how distressing is it? So perhaps someone isn't necessarily avoiding things, but when it comes up, it's so, so distressing that they're having panic attacks or they're crying. So again, looking at distress or impairment. The difference between a phobia versus more general worries or other ways that um, storm worries can present is really how specific it is. And so phobias are also called specific phobias for that reason. So someone with a specific phobia about the weather, they're really just worried about the weather. And as you actually were mentioning earlier in the podcast, it can be really specific about just wind or just really bad storms, um, which is really interesting but because it's really, really specific. Whereas general worries or generalized anxiety is someone might worry about storms. They might also worry about how well they're doing in school or at work. They might worry about their health and just kind of a whole bunch of things. So it's kind of not as specific as weather. And for those people, oftentimes weather worries are more related to perhaps danger. You know, storms can be dangerous. So they're worried about the danger that might come or how it might disrupt their schedule. Now, I, I can imagine there are situations where people perhaps did not have a weather phobia of any type, but something happened, some type of event happened that triggered that. Is, is that the case? For example, perhaps they weren't fearful of rain, but had a, an accident on a wet road or something. Is, is that a real phenomenon? It certainly can be. So for some people, we don't really know why fears exist. You know, their parents or other people might say, we don't mind storms. I don't know where this came from. For some people, it can also be parental modeling. So if a parent's really afraid of storm, this, um, the child might learn that this is something to be afraid of. But again, for some people, it's kind of out of the blue. We don't really know why it comes about for each person. And the interesting thing is actually to treat it, we don't really need to know. Oh, is that, that's right. You just, you don't necessarily need to know the root cause to treat the symptom or treat the actual phobia. And I don't even know how to address the phobia. Is a phobia a mental illness? 
That's a great question. So it can be a mental illness. And again, that's if it's causing a lot of distress or impairment. So they can, you know, all of these things exist on a spectrum. There's no hard line. Um, but for, you know, diagnosis purpose, we think about a hard line of it's a clinical phobia if it's causing a lot of distress or impairment. Yeah. So I, I want to sort of, we're, we're, as we are recording this podcast, we're very much in the midst of coronavirus. And, um, you know, there are people that are taking precautions because they should. I mean, it's a very challenging situation. Uh, there are some people that look at it as, man, no, what's the big deal? And then there are people that maybe have now a phobia of going into a restaurant or doing things that they normally do. Um, I, I guess weather phobias are in that way, but I kind of want to stay with this coronavirus for a moment. Um, can we see these types of phobias developing in other sort of ways, like for example, infectious disease or something like coronavirus? Are, are there things that you can see in your research or in your studies that parallel to some of the weather phobias in, in things like coronavirus or other things that may happen in society? Yeah, certainly. And so when we think about COVID fears, I mean, again, that can be present in a lot of dis different disorders. Um, OCD can latch on to COVID worries. Um, and so, yeah, it can really be present in the same way. And the thing that's interesting about COVID is we might actually think about treating that in a similar way as a storm worry, where we think about, okay, there's some amount of precautions now that are appropriate to be taking. Um, so likewise with storms, if a storm's coming, there's some amount of preparation, you know, if the state said you need to evacuate that, that's appropriate. And so with COVID, we then think about what is a person doing beyond those guidelines, like CDC guidelines, for example, that um, might be indicating that they're more worried and doing more things to try and avoid that uncertainty. So for example, CDC says, wash your hands for 30 seconds. If someone's um, washing their hands for five minutes or multiple times, that's them when we think, okay, it's more than kind of a, le a normal level of precaution based off of this threat. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast, and I'm speaking with Margaret Crane, who's a child psychologist, and we're asking the question, are you afraid of the weather? I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the university. And this is really a fascinating conversation because there are so many sort of connections between psychology and mental health and weather that I think get sort of fly under the radar, pun intended, I suppose, in terms of how we deal with these things. So, I mean... You've kind of hit on this a little bit you know, when I asked you the difference between a phobia and jitters, but how can you fundamentally tell when someone has a legitimate phobia versus eh, just a jitter because this is a really bad storm? That's, again, a good question. And one thing that's interesting about psychology and clinical psychology is there's not really a test for it. Like there might be in medicine of saying, yes, okay, you have the chicken pox. Um, but that said, in general, we, we treat the behaviors and what's happening and what we're seeing. And so if someone is avoiding a lot of different things, and again, it's causing a lot of distress, then that might, might be when we think more of it as a phobia level. 
Also, oftentimes, too, if someone has a phobia of storms, they might be doing a lot of things outside of when the storm is actually happening. So, for example, they might be checking the weather a ton and they might be constantly rearranging their plans outside of the storm happening itself. Whereas someone who just kind of gets storm jitters, when the storm happens, they might feel a little bit nervous, but they're not really thinking about it outside of that time. Now, you mentioned something, so I want to take this sort of sort of 101 commercial break here. You mentioned clinical psychology and psychology. Can you, for the listeners that maybe aren't in your field, tell us the difference between sort of clinical psychology and psychology? That's a really great question. So psychology as a whole, as a field, looks at human behavior and how humans work and think. Whereas clinical psychology is specifically interested in mental illness and mental disorders and how we treat them. Yeah, so that's I, I I hear those terms all the time, and I have friends that are psychology professors and psych, clinical psychologists. But I have to admit, I didn't quite know. I thought I had some idea of the difference, but I I I always like to use this podcast as an opportunity to sort of educate on broad topics today. And so this is really a, a good sort of sort of discussion here. Now let's kind of get more into sort of okay, you know, someone has a phobia, weather phobia. All right, one, how do you get them to sort of acknowledge the phobia so that you can then treat it or does it need to be treated? That's a really great question. So as far as acknowledging the phobia itself, you know, sometimes it can be helpful to first of all, just validate their concerns before even acknowledging someone and trying to push them into treatment. Um, so saying things like, I can, they can see that this is really hard for you. And then with trying to think about, you know, maybe is this something you want to work on? Some questions we sometimes ask is, what would life be like if you didn't have this worry? Um, how could life be different if this wasn't something that was coming up for you so much? So sometimes those are the sorts of questions we might ask. The interesting thing with treating kids is sometimes it's just their parents that bring them in. Um, you know, their parents are saying, okay, we can tell this is a big problem and the kiddo might not be quite on board yet. Yeah. And to answer your question about, can you treat that on your own? I think, you know, it's always worth a try to see, you know, and so I would say seeking therapy can be something when, you know, people have tried things on their own and it hasn't really worked. So one of the main ways we treat phobias is through something called exposure therapy. For kids, we also call this challenges or brave practice. And so what that looks like is we slowly break down a fear and help people slowly approach it. So first, for example, they might look at a video of a storm. Then they might be watching a storm um, from their window. And so really paying attention to what's going on in their body, what's coming up for them, but really being attuned to what's happening and being present rather than avoiding the storm. And that's because a lot of anxiety is based off of avoidance, avoiding the threat, avoiding the uncertainty. So by having them face it slowly, that helps them approach the situation and learn, okay, maybe it's not as bad as I thought, or maybe it is really hard and I can handle it. You know, something as I'm listening to your discussion here, and I'm talking with Margaret Crane, a doctoral student at Temple University, something came to mind. I mean, we're talking about these sort of immediate episodic threats that cause phobias and weather. Maybe it's a storm or a tornado or a hurricane. But something that I've seen in recent years is also sort of this looming phobia uh, related to climate and climate change. This idea that there's this looming grand challenge thing that's going to fundamentally change lives and change storms and our economy and public health. Is that a real thing to, that I'm seeing here, this idea of a climate phobia? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if I would refer to that as a phobia per se, but that's something we definitely see in generalized anxiety disorder. So it's these general worries about the future and what might happen. And climate change is definitely something that people can worry about, these existential threats. 
And yeah. again, with a lot of anxiety, that's because they're uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, climate change is a real threat. And so there's some amount that that should be a worry for people. Again, the question is, how much is that coming up for them? How much is it getting in the way for them? So, I mean, I was listening. I, I, I'm going to sort of make a, an admission here for all the Weather Geeks listeners. I think I have a phobia of flying, for example. I didn't always have it. I used to fly all the time, but I had an experience with a bad flight coming out of Denver, Colorado, because anyone that's flown in and out of Denver, the, there's quite a bit of turbulence at times because you're sort of just east of the mountains. And there's this meteorological phenomenon called a rotor where you have this sort of sort of rotating sort of uh, sort of, uh, I guess, uh, area of air uh, as the turbulence comes off the mountains. And so our plane really dropped like a rock. So since then, I've been, I've had this significant phobia. So I guess, you know, you're suggesting then that there would be some type of exposure therapy, I think is the word that you would use to sort of gradually, because I, I mean, I have flown since then, but I'm pretty much of the opinion that I don't want to fly anymore. And part of that is carbon footprint issues too. But you would suggest that there is some type of increments, uh, sort of incremental exposure. Uh, you would treat, I guess, me in the same way that you treat a kid. Exactly. So without giving you specific clinical no, advice. Give me, I'm, give me, I'm, I'm, I'm your template here. So yeah, that's right. And so also it's interesting too, because you also know a lot about weather. And that's, so that, and that, that's part of the problem. The that's part of the problem. Because right? I, I just detail what exactly happened. And when I do get on a plane, I'm probably looking at things that other people aren't thinking about. Yeah, totally. Um, and so, you know, exactly what you said, The we treat all, you know, any fear really in the same way like method, I guess, of, you know, slowly working people up to face the thing that they're really afraid of. Um, and so, it, you know, as you were saying, it'd be the same step for treating a, a plane phobia. How we do that, obviously, is specific to the individual. And so some questions we also ask is, how is this person avoiding this fear? And so for someone perhaps who is flying a little bit, what are they doing during the flight that might make them not really facing that anxiety? So, if someone is actually doing things in theory, exposing themselves to something, but they're not getting better, oftentimes there's some sort of really subtle way that they're avoiding anxiety. So maybe they, you know, are counting backwards, or maybe they're just, you know, completely tuning out everything that's happening and listening to music. And so this is why in some ways, while yes, doing exposures on your own and slowly facing fears is something that anyone can do, it's also really hard. And it's hard because you're worried about it. It's really brave to face fears. And so that can be sometimes when sometimes additional help is needed. But again, the process of slowly breaking it down and facing it in a manageable way so people feel like they can feel that anxiety, that is something anyone can try doing. Yeah, that's that's really good advice here from, again, talking with Margaret Crane. I'm going to take one quick break here and then I want to come back and ask you about your doctoral work. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and we are talking about fear of weather on the Weather Geeks podcast today with Margaret Crane, a child psychologist and doctoral student at Temple University. 
Now, I want to dig into, I mean, you know, I, I have various graduate students of my own at the University of Georgia. So I know that you're certainly doing a, some doctoral work right now and probably a, writing a dissertation or, or working towards that. First of all, where are you in your doctoral program? And then tell us a little bit about what you're doing for that work. So I am about to propose my dissertation in two ah, weeks time, which is exciting. Very. Um, and so I'm at the process where I'm really planning what my dissertation is and getting kind of everything in order before I actually launch the study. So my overall interest is really in how people get into treatment um, and particularly with parents. So how do parents find out about information about how to get their child and also not just treatment, but effective treatment, evidence-based practices, um, which again, for anxiety is cognitive behavioral therapy with exposures. And so for my dissertation itself, I'm um, looking at two different conditions. And these are um, looking at outreach presentations to parents where we talk about anxiety and how to treat um, anxiety and how to seek treatment. So in one condition, it's just two researchers presenting the information, whereas in the other condition, it's a researcher and a parent from the community, um, someone we call a key opinion leader. So someone who's well-known and well-respected. And so my hypothesis is that involving people from the community, especially someone who's well-known and well-respected, will help parents want to seek treatment more and will help destigmatize mental illness more than just researchers talking to them. So if someone, like a parent listening to this, or perhaps even someone themselves listening to this right now, and they recognize, as I certainly admitted my flying phobia, that they have a storm phobia, or they have a fear of tornadoes, or fear of wind, or, or snow, how, do, how does one find a professor? I mean, I, I just don't think there are weather psychologists out there uh, in, in the, in the, on Google or in our, in our yellow pages or so forth. But how does, what is the process by which one goes to identify? And I, I guess this is somewhat related to your dissertation topic. Um, how, what's the process of finding the appropriate treatment or professional? So the first thing I would always recommend is Contacting a local university, especially one with a clinical psychology program and a training clinic, both because the students there, first of all, they offer therapy on a sliding scale basis. With, so for people who don't have insurance, they can get care for cheaper, um, but also they can refer. And so that care they also offer is oftentimes the most up-to-date care that we know. Um, and if not actually seeking treatment there, they have a really great list of referrals of providers in the area that they know will do effective treatment. And so with seeking care for a phobia say, the nice thing is that it doesn't need to be someone who specializes in that one phobia. It's really someone who knows how to do cognitive behavioral therapy with exposures. And the reason I'm emphasizing exposures is because that behavioral aspect of facing fears is the most important part, especially for phobias. And it kind of just gives you the best chance of having it treated faster. There are other ways to look um, up different therapists. For example, there's a bunch of different therapy directories, like the Association for Behavioral and Cognitive Therapies has a page called findcbt.org. And that's a good way to find therapists who the people on that directory almost certainly will be doing CBT and hopefully with exposures as well. Um, other ways to psychology today has a really good search function for insurance companies or asking a doctor for recommendations, or if it's for a child, the school mental health staff. With those latter few, like psychology today and asking a doctor, the thing that I would just emphasize again is there are a lot of therapists and a lot of really great therapists, um, but if someone has a phobia or really any anxiety disorder, again, we want to make sure that they're seeking therapy with that does CBT with exposures and someone who has a lot of training with exposure therapy because it is a little bit technical. And so 
if someone were to find a provider there when they're um, contacting the provider, asking them, you know, do you have training with specifically exposures? What type of exposures might you do for something like this? Um, what's your license like? There are also people like life coaches. And again, those can be great for many problems, but for phobia, seeing someone who's a licensed professional, like a licensed clinical psychologist, a licensed clinical social worker, um, licensed marital and family therapist, those are all great ways to know that that person has a lot of training. Very, very good information. And we're talking with Margaret Crane from Temple University. I, I want to sort of start to draw to a close here, ask you a couple of more personal questions. Or have there been any weather events or things that have frightened you over the, you know, over the course of your life? Anything memorable that sort of impactful in your life? Nothing that frightened me. I'm a little weird in that, and I just get excited <laughs> by stories. Oh, I'm the same way. Hey, totally. Yeah, I think they're really fun. Um, so, I mean, both snow. I mean, who doesn't love snowstorms? Um, well, I guess you know, plenty pe people are afraid of them, and that's perfectly legitimate. But I'm also lucky that I haven't had any really severe storm sort of thing. And you know, one thing I will also say is we've been talking a lot about storm phobias. Some people can develop um, PTSD from storms, and that's something I haven't touched on as much. But that's certainly something that can happen. So that Again, that is a that is a real thing. Sort of this idea that you're there was such a traumatic storm event that they there's a PTSD type disorder that comes along. Certainly, that can definitely happen. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting, because I was even as I was asking you that question, I was thinking back because, yeah, I'm the one that actually if there's a storm coming, I'm usually out on my porch or my deck as long mm -hmm. as I can be until I deem it unsafe. Mm -hmm. um, there are there are a couple of things that I do recall. I mean, a couple of years ago, we were driving home from dinner and we got caught in a particularly bad hailstorm and we were dealing with tennis ball size size hail pounding our car. And I, I don't think that I was scared as much as I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really going to dent my car. Yeah. I, but there was one snow event that I, I, I don't I wouldn't say it, you know, caused long term damage for me mentally. But we were driving from flag, from the Grand Canyon down to Phoenix, Arizona on a family trip. And it was really bad snow and ice. And I mean, if anyone's done that drive, it's pretty much downhill the entire way from mm -hmm. Flagstaff to, to Phoenix. And it was just one of the most treacherous drives I have personally in my life ever experienced, though. I mean, I think that was the the one time that I was I was really scared because of weather. Uh, and I, I think I'd probably <laughs> rethink some decisions because of that. So mm -hmm. I, I, as you were saying, it probably didn't create a phobia, but it certainly impacted me enough that it would make me do some things differently in the future. Yeah, certainly. That does yeah. sound really scary. So let's fast forward a few years. I mean, you're sort of in the proposal defense stage, but at some point you're going to finish your doctoral program and go off and, and have your own career. What do you want to do after after your PhD studies? And so what what do you envision your sort of postdoctoral studies research will look like? So eventually I would love to be a professor. I'd imagine my line of research will continue um, in the implementation dissemination realm. And so again, I'm really interested in how do we disseminate knowledge and how do we get information out to people? I'm also interested in things like pathway to care. So within the bigger system, how do we make sure that people can be seeking treatment in the most effective way? Right. This has been a really fascinating discussion. Are there places on social media that people can follow you or follow your program on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram that you want to share? Thank you for asking. So I have a Twitter. Um, my Twitter is Margaret underscore Crane one. And so people can feel free to reach out if they have other questions, including how to find a therapist. I really do like find, helping people find therapists just because I know it can be tricky sometimes. Um, 
our clinic itself doesn't have a Twitter, um, but it's called the Child and Adolescent Anxiety Disorders Clinic. So if you're in the Philadelphia area and have an anxious kid or teenager, you can find more information about our clinic at childanxiety.org. And I think that's where we'll end it. Now it's time for our Geek of the Week. We like to highlight a scientist, superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's Geek of the Week is Brian Good, or Goody. I hope I got it right, Brian. Brian is an Emmy Award-winning on-camera meteorologist for WAVE3 TV in Louisville, Kentucky. He lives and breathes meteorology, especially severe storms, and has been tracking the weather ever since he was a little kid. If you or someone you know would be a deserving candidate for our next Geek of the Week, check out our social media pages. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. I am Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I look forward to uh, seeing you and talking to you over the next several episodes as we bring you quite a few new episodes of Weather Geeks. Take care. Take care.